G'day guys, Kerry here from the Trigonometry Show, uh, and I am here today for a chat with Travis. Now, Travis has a... Well, he's got a lot of things he's doing, um, but I thought recently somebody hit me up asking me if I knew anything about the NRL 22, which is a 22 league that Travis is very heavily involved with. And I thought it might be a good chance to sort of introduce him and some of his projects to to New Zealand, basically. He's something, uh, his work is something I've been following for quite a while, way back to, I think it would have been a early video you would have done for one of the PRS finales, 2015, maybe 2016? Yeah, 15. Uh, yeah. Yep, 15, cool. And um, since then, I've sort of just watched as he's been very, very busy, at him and a, a group of guys, I'm sure, um, getting getting stuff done. Um, so, Travis, welcome. Thank you uh, for your time. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm glad to be here. So, for me, that, that finale video... 2015, I was getting into field shooting. Uh, I'd been shooting for a bit, but the more the practical, the precision shooting, practical shooting, we would call it field shooting or, or gong steel, whatever you want to call it. But it was really cool to see um, coverage, basically, from um, these competitions over in the States. Uh, it was already sort of established and going, so it was quite cool to be able to sit down and watch, sort of um, in the same way I'd watch a, um, well, obviously down here, New Zealand, big on the rugby, their sports, or motor race, or whatever it might be. Right. But the, the sport I was interested in. And the reality is, is my, my partner Alice kind of watched it for about 30 seconds and went, why are you watching this? But it's like, well, this is my sport. I, I love watching it. And it really got me into this idea of capturing and documenting shooting sports generally in a way to promote it. Um, was that sort of your intro into the into what is now um, Contingency X? I mean, I had a quick look online. I see there's on-call marketing. I'm, I'm assuming you're a marketing background, though? Yes. So um, the parent company is Encore Group, which is uh, the umbrella company for Encore Marketing and Contingency X Connex Media. And uh, I grew up shooting uh, firearms ever since I was, I think, in like the third or fourth grade. I was uh, shooting different uh, different uh, firearm disciplines. And I stopped for a while, and then I started getting back into it. And uh, my, my better half was like, you know, no, you're spending a lot of money on all this firearms and all this gear and gadgets and whatever. She's like, you got to stop. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I am spending a lot of money, so I'm just going to turn it into a business. Sure. And... Um, and so basically what happened was we looked at the firearms market and the marketing and the media and everything for that industry, uh, especially here stateside, uh, was really dated at the time. They weren't doing a lot of the things that bigger corporate America was doing, so to speak. Sure. And um, and so we took our approach from Encore Marketing where we had some very large household name clients and we started implementing that type of stuff into the firearms market, specifically towards Precision Rifle. Yeah. And so uh, uh, the championship, the the PRS championship in 2015 wasn't our first match. Um, it was actually the, the Vegas match um, held in Las Vegas. It was one of their PRS matches. It was the first one that we ever filmed. And I basically, you know, I, I called him up and I said, hey, you know, this looks really cool. What do you guys, you know, what you guys are doing? I just want to come out and film it and be a part of it. And there it was done. Hook, line yeah. and sinker. And, and uh I went uh, headfirst into it and started filming as many matches as I could, trying to grow the sport and trying to get sponsors more exposure and get athletes more exposure. And um, it was something, you know, that I was just very passionate about since I was a young kid shooting precision or, you know, precision, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you're a kid. How, how precise can you be? Um, nowadays, much better gear. But I mean, this was in the early 80s. Sure. Um, so I was always fascinated with being able to to reach out to farther distances and I was, you know, full circle came back around and I ended up being able to uh, turn it into some of my work. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's, Contingency it's, X was born. <laughs> it's a great way to justify your expenditure on the firearms and the ammo and everything like that. That's for sure. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, honey, you can't buy that. Well, no, I need it because I'm doing this and that and I need to go test. And well, why'd you buy this many, this many rounds? Because I have to go test these different rifles. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how, how was that original um, reception to, I guess, trying to bring that, that new media approach to it? Because it's, I, I guess I give the example is of, of, of you know, again, watching you and I was like, yeah, well, I, I sort of agree and I can see exactly what you're trying to do that still we have companies down here who don't, for example, have a Facebook page. Now, you don't right. have to have a Facebook page, but basic marketing, modern time, social media. And I remember contacting someone probably now about two years ago and they bluntly said to me, look, we just don't think this Facebook thing will ever really go anywhere and we can't see the point of it. How was that reception um, on your side? Were guys quick to uptake or still sort of just a bit slow? You know, it was actually pretty quick. Um, when we started producing these videos for the, the PRS, when it was originally owned by Rich Emmons back in the day, um, everyone was super excited about it. They, you know, they were enthusiastic to be able to see themselves on camera and then to see themselves on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, social media. The sponsors loved it. The series loved it. Um, it really, you know, social media and uh, these different platforms have really given a new avenue to reach out and, and touch people through content throughout the world. I mean, we're yeah. talking, you know, we're two completely exactly. different worlds, New Zealand and, and <laughs> the United States, but we have a common interest. And the only reason that we're on this today is because you saw our videos and, yes. and introduced yourself. So, I mean, that right there is a perfect example of how well um, social media can do for you. Now, mm. There's actually a couple of different companies that we do work with that are still um, sponsors or participate in our sport, but they're still very anti-social media. Sure. Um, and, you know, with different companies, that could be understandable because oftentimes they um, – some of the larger companies, they have other um, – business ventures that they don't necessarily want related towards firearms or hunting or things of that nature, because, what? you know, I'm not sure in New Zealand, I, I've, I've seen friends go out to New Zealand and seen videos of some amazing hunting and beautiful landscape. And in the U S there's definitely, you know, a very large hunting and uh, a shooting community, but it's still frowned upon by a lot of people. Yeah. So, I, I, yes, I agree with you. And and similar down here, more, although I say a lot of the time now is, is I, I media, I suppose, I'd be very careful with my words. I, it's, sometimes I find it's out of ignorance and not meaning in a bad way, but just they don't really understand what hunting or shooting or anything is about. And right. some of these videos that you start showing them and, and explaining, hey, this is what we're doing, they're like, oh, well, that's not exactly what I thought you were doing. And there's there's always exceptions where there's someone just puts up a series of headshot kill shots, which doesn't help anybody. Right. But, um, yeah, on the whole, I find it's because we, we do have um, high firearms ownership down here in New Zealand. Um, but, yeah, still a lot of people, especially central Auckland where I live, never handled an actual firearm, never been near one. So it's just born out of uh, just just not knowing. Right. It absolutely is, um, for lack of a better term, ignorance. And, mm. and again, not in a negative connotation, but simply for the fact that people hear shooting competitions or they hear, you know, tactical in the name of the competition. And they yeah. think it's a bunch of people running around with assault weapons and this and that. And no, you know, some platforms are AR-10 or AR-15. Some people shoot those platforms. Uh, majority of it is bolt action. But regardless of semi-auto or bolt action, it's a sport. And that's really how we're trying to portray this is this is something that like golf or like race car driving or like rugby, it's a sport. You get passion in it. You learn how to play properly. You learn the rules. You take the proper safety uh, measurements, you know, whether, you know, for firearms, it, it's safe handling of a firearm. Mm -hmm. If it's well, rugby, you guys don't wear any kind of body protection, but you know, they just run we, full speed into each other. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's. That, I've seen rugby a couple of times on the on the telly, and it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, but you know, we we do everything that we can to really enforce safety, uh, sportsmanship, and camaraderie, community, and yep. that's what it's all about for us. Is is you know, eighty to one hundred and twenty of us, you know, 
became friends and we shoot matches and that's the time we get to hang out with it, you know, without or hang out with each other throughout the year. Yeah. So it's more about the sport than anything else. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I remember watching my brother. This is, I suppose, an analogy. He played paintball at a national league and was even looking um, right. traveling overseas as a sponsored shooter. But his team was one of the first teams where they decided to clearly separate themselves from what they would call bushball, which is the guys running in around and army fatigues and all that right. and turn it into speedball because they are aware that it could be more of a spectator sport it could be more of a focus on the sports side and they were right. one of the first teams to basically go right we're not wearing any camo anymore in fact we're going to wear these bright crazy colors this is before now you'd everyone would have sponsored shirts and now it's right. very common but they they made a decision as a team to go right no we need to turn this into a sport we need to promote it as a sport otherwise it'll always be associated with a group of guys running around with guns in the bush, basically. Right. And it's funny that you say that because that's actually one of the big things that I was into um, earlier in life was paintball. And my first paintball match was, you know, I dressed up in the, the cami, the camouflage yes. stuff. And yep. I crawled around through the bushes and, you know, I painted my face and I played yep. army, right? Yep. Um, and then, you know, just like your brother, I graduated from that and I started playing tournament ball where mm. all of our props were big blow up, you yes. know, blow up uh, yep. buildings. And we were playing on, on AstroTurf and, you know, we weren't trying to hide from each other anymore. Now we were just trying to get the best angles on each other. And yep. it was a um, more of a strategy game than anything else, mm. you know. Um, and it's the same thing with with. Well, not the same thing, but in it's similar context in precision rifle shooting. It's all about strategy and, and you're, you know, we're not hiding from each other or hiding from anybody trying to shoot steel. We're out there trying to figure out the best way to engage the most targets effectively with the most rounds on, on impact in the shortest amount of time. Yeah. So it's a, very much a strategy game. Now, it was sort of jump, but it segues nicely into it, I suppose, talking about the gaming side of it. Have you... From certain areas of the even the firearms community, there can be sometimes a little bit of a pushback um, regarding the sporting or the gaming nature. And I normally just point out, it's like, well, look, we're not pretending it's anything other than a, a sport or a game and gaming, and there's a certain way you play that game. We're not necessarily working on military tactics or working, you know, there is transferable skills. But right. have you, you noticed much of a pushback, or do you generally find people kind of understand the equipment, the techniques and everything are becoming sort of specialized to the game we are playing? Uh, stateside over here for us, I haven't really seen any kind of pushback at all. We actually have um, quite, a bit of, quite a bit of military or retired military that actually participate in the sport now. And talking with them over the years, it's completely different. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the approach to a stage and, and your objectives and, and the time limits and so on and so forth, um, you know, they come and they participate in a precision rifle match and they notice that, you know, this isn't military or mm. or police or anything at all. Um, this is very much a, a different world. Yeah. So the the sport of it, we don't see gaming in the state side means that you're you're kind of trying to cheat a stage yeah. was what yeah, yeah. is how we call gaming right yeah so you know it's not gaming for us but it's a sport yeah you know okay. everybody looks at it strictly as a sport yeah yeah so yes yeah, so, and i see i i did um ipsic pistol so same thing you game a stage Right. You try to game. You try to game a stage, you and then try. you're competing. You're you're playing a game against a match director, which um, a few of us who are putting on events and stuff start, yeah, ribbing each other, um, trying to see who can outgame the other match director. Normally, is what it what it comes down right. to. So <laughs> we we have good arguments about the appropriate size of one small rear bag at the moment. That's our one. Yeah. <laughs> as long as yep. it's as long as it's smaller than my biggest rear bag, it's a small rear bag as far as I'm concerned. So. <laughs> yeah, we um, for like the NRL 22, we limit it so that your bag must be smaller than the standard size of a volleyball. Okay. Yep. Yep. So that's that's our comparison. If it's bigger than a volleyball, it's not it's not allowed. Yeah. So you can't have everyone turning up with their big bean bags or the Armageddon gear numero uno bags. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for the NRL 22. For the NRL, we leave it up to the match directors. But yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So, I mean, talk. Okay, so talking about the NRL and the NRL twenty two, because the NRL obviously started before the NRL twenty two. Yes. 
Yes, and the NRL was, is it now two, three seasons through? Where are you? Right. Two seasons, two, okay. two seasons through. We're yep. uh, just announced our third season, which will start in February. Yep. Um, so it's, I mean, it's been a whirlwind. We, mm. when we announced it, we, the concept was in 2016, uh, 2017 was our first season just wrapped 2018 and, and we're growing and we have, uh, 18 matches on the schedule for 2019. Wow. So the NRL is, I, I see it's it's registered as a non-profit. So the yes. the idea of it at the core is, which is what I like about it, is is community building, is just is growth of the sport rather than it being a, um, it's obviously a league. But yeah, I mean, how do you sort of di- differentiate or what I guess is the sort of the mission statement of the NRL? Well, our whole thing is to get more people involved in the sport, right? So yeah. the big thing is education and safety. We want you know, people that are afraid or that aren't aware of what it is that we're doing, we want them to be able to look at it and say, okay, that's, that's really cool, but how do I get involved? And then provide them with the avenues to get involved or with the training and so on and so forth. So we registered as, we registered it as a nonprofit because we really want to give back to the community. You know, none of the, currently there's four executive directors for the National Rifle League, uh, Ian Kelby from Kelby Rifles, Tyler Frenner, uh, Brittany Walden, and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us take a salary. We all put in tremendous hours every day, every week. Um, it's definitely taken over our lives in a positive way. I yes. mean, it's, it's a great yeah. thing, obviously. But we do this because we want to see the sport grow. Um, yeah. We want to be able to to get you know, more, uh, more of our youth involved. And that's kind of why, not kind of, that's exactly why the NRL 22 started sure. was because we wanted to provide an avenue where kids can go out and, and wives and sisters and females and, and gentlemen that uh, never shot a rifle can go out into a safe area and learn the sport without being overwhelmed by expensive gear, even though some of it is expensive, <laughs> um, you know, crazy expensive gear. Yes. Um, and feel non-threatened by egos or or by too too severe of a competition. Yeah. So our whole thing is is give back, give back, give back, and that's you know what we're constantly trying to do through education, through bigger and better events, through public awareness, through you know the videos that we do, you know this podcast that we're doing with you today. Yeah. Um, it's all about growth of the sport. Mm. Have you, I mean, do you notice then that the, there is quite a large amount of, not necessarily new shooters, but new um, competition or new sports shooters getting involved? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that be the focus. I mean, we, we've noticed, again, for our limited ones, we've had a, tw- a few 22 competitions, and you always notice that there's a few new shooters who are either very new shooting full stop, but often have been... Hunters, in our case, we have big, big right. percentage of, of shooters in New Zealand come from a rural hunting background. So they may have been shooting for many years, but have never competed. Right. Um, and suddenly a twenty two shoots easy, super cheap to do. Uh, well, um, obviously, you know, relatively, like, at, relatively <laughs> cheap by comparison compared to shooting a three three eight as a box of twenty two ammo is cheap. Um, but yeah, also, funnily enough, yeah, it just seems to be a little less threatening than maybe a center fire competition for for various reasons it is yeah it is i mean we um we shot our nrl 22 uh match yesterday actually sunday yeah um and we had i think it was close to 30 shooters out there um and a uh, not a majority but there was probably six or seven what we call young guns so you know under the age of 18 under 16 um and they were out there and their parents were helping them um male and female you know uh young ladies young gentlemen uh and they were just out there having so much fun you know they didn't quite you know they get up to the line we'd help them show them how to do it make sure that they were always safe and you know the first time they get up there they're kind of nervous and you see it but by the fourth or you know third or fourth stage they've got a big smile on their face and yeah. they're just shooting blinking targets. And it's at that moment when you see, you know, that big smile of when they hit that, you know, that steel mm-hmm. that, you know, okay, they're, they're sold. They like this, they're having fun and they know that a firearm can be dangerous, mm-hmm. but it's only dangerous in improperly trained hands. Yes. Yep. Yep. 
It, it's interesting. I've noticed on Centerfire, Rimfire, anything. The 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 great thing with the steel is that the noise and that instant um, uh, response to it. That anybody, yes. any somebody's been shooting paper at a hundred meters or a hundred yards for a long, long time. The first time they hit steel, especially if it's a couple hundred meters and you've got that delay between when they pulled the trigger or press the trigger and the, and the steel rings. And you're right. There's that smile every single time because it's like it's just so satisfying. Yeah, it's a, it's a sense of accomplishment for sure. I mean, the first time I hit a thousand yards, I was ecstatic. I was like, there's no way I'm hitting a thousand yards. And my first thousand yard shot was with the 308. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to make this. And, you know, my instructor at the time was like, this is what you do. And this is, you know, just getting, you know, walked me through it. And, you know, I pulled that trigger. I missed the first time. I missed the second time, made some adjustments. And then all of a sudden it was impact, impact, impact. Mm. And I was just... I was sold. I was hooked. It was, you know, it was, uh, it was game over. It was, okay, what do I, how do I, <laughs> how do I do this? What do I go by? You know, how do I get a better whatever to, to make this, you know? So it's, it's, uh, if your kids, your family, or, you know, it's a it's kind of a joke out here. If your kids or family gets involved in precision rifle, they won't have money to do anything else bad. <laughs> they won't be able to afford the drugs. They won't be able Not. to afford the alcohol. They Not. won't be able to afford any of that because they're going to love getting out there and competing and having fun. And, and and as well as that, as there is a certain level of responsibility and expectation that comes with handling and owning and um, being in control of firearms. And I think that's the other side. It gives you that um, a level of responsibility, which is great for kids. Because a especially good instructor, they make it very clear that it's fun, but there is a, a specific line for safety that we will never, ever break. And it becomes that nice mix of having fun, but understanding that there's parameters we, we just never overstep. Exactly. And that's so important for everything in life is, yes. is responsibility and boundaries. Uh, so the the way that the NRL and the NRL 22 leagues work is slightly differently by my understanding, and, and I'll, I'll sort of start, but then you can fill in details, but, but my sure. understanding is the NRL 22 is essentially a, um, I, I suppose you call it a, a, a governing body that maintains sort of a national level score um, uh, charts and everything like that, and then manages that side of it. The NRL 22 it goes a little bit extra to help match directors and rangers and stuff to get involved by also helping out by providing some um, courses of fire and even um, uh, sort of a list of the props that you would need for it. Was that, that's my understanding yes. of that's correct? That That's absolutely correct. The NRL 22, um, the reason that we have it set up the way we do is um, to make it available to everybody throughout the country. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure the same thing in New Zealand, um, rangers out here, you know, to find long distance ranges uh, throughout the States is, is somewhat difficult, but to find a hundred yard or a hundred meter range um, in every state is, is very reasonably doable. Yes. So what we do as the NRL 22 is every month we design five different courses of fire. All of them are within that 100 yard um, benchmark. Yep. Okay. Um, five different stages, positional, prone. We throw a little bit of everything in there, but we make sure that it's fun and doable for all age groups from, you know, the, the young children to the senior citizens that might have a bad hip. Mm. We try to make it fun for everybody. Um, we put out that course of fire every month and that's where everybody, all the match directors throughout the nation, that's what they compete on is that course of fire. Now we encourage them to add additional courses of fire if they want to, or if they have longer range uh, access. Um, but we only care about the five uh, courses of fire that we publish. Sure. Then we take those scores um, and we compile them and we post them online on the NRL22.org. And that way everybody could see how they stacked up against everyone else across the nation. Because everyone's shooting the same course of fire, it provides a level of continuity and a level of fairness other than the fact that we can't control weather conditions, you know, mm. I was shooting in 70 degree weather yesterday. Sure. A lot of our friends, you know, it, you know, further east were shooting in the snow. <laughs> can't help you there, <laughs> but, you know, our targets were the same size. They were the yeah. same distance. You know, it's it is what it is. Um, so we try to make it really as level of a playing field as we can and as enjoyable as we can for everybody. Mm. Whereas with the NRL, 
we um, we vote on ma- different match directors, different matches every year, um, and we leave it up to the match directors to z- design their their match however they want. Um, but all of the match directors follow the same set of governing rules. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, caliber size, caliber speed, sportsman uh, sportsmanship rules, things of that nature. But every year that we bring in new match directors, we all vote on what those rules are. Right. So, you know, I don't dictate, I don't even get involved in the rule part unless it has something to do legally or morally. Um, sure. I let the match directors do that. So, gotcha. you know, Tyler Frainer is our director of all match operations. He oversees all of that. He's the tiebreaker vote if there needs to be one. Um, but otherwise, the NRL is completely ran and planned by our match directors. We just oversee it as a marketing and media company to help provide as much support as we can for the sport, for sponsors, to help fill the matches, so on and so forth. And then we also, um, we do tally up the scores and all of that kind of stuff so that there's one central database or one central place for everybody to see it. Um, And we just try to, you know, we try to make it as professional, but as fun as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all of our matches, you know, we always have after activity events. So after the match, you know, we'll go out and we'll all have dinner or we'll all go, go grab a, a, a beer. Um, we'll play games, you know, uh, we play, uh, it's called cornhole. You three, I don't, do you guys have cornhole in New Zealand? I might be thinking of something different, so you better explain it. Yes, <laughs> basically, it, it's a it's a wood uh, like a rooftop. Yeah. Okay, but there's a, a hole at the top of it, yeah, and you have okay. bean bags, and they're about twenty feet apart from each other, and you have to throw the bean bags into the hole to make okay. points. Okay. So yep. it's just a, a friendly. I don't know why it's called cornhole. <laughs> I have no idea. But it's just a, a, a friendly game that everybody gets super competitive, and oh, you know, you have a beer or two, and then it gets a little silly. But it's um, it's about bringing everybody together because in the past, people have always gone to matches, and then they just go to their hotel rooms, and you know, go grab dinner and go to bed, um, which is fine. And, you know, that's how it is for a lot of matches still. There's nothing wrong with that. But we really wanted to bring people together and say, hey, you know, not only can you have fun on the range, but these are the people you're you're shooting with, you're competing with. You can have fun with them off the range and make lifelong friends, which all of us have done. Yeah, I, I think that's the interesting thing as well is often you'll sit around for us here, some of the, the comps you've been to, the conversations you have sitting around the barbecue table or the, the, the dinner table afterwards and just chatting. And it always amazes me how um, uh, varied the backgrounds of everybody is. It's not, uh, there's, a, I think, a miss. Um, yeah, people seem to stereotype firearm owners very quickly, and all you need to do is look at all the people around this table and realize they're from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, but we've got this common common interest, which would be the same for yeah. any sports group, really. So, absolutely. Um, I, it, I, sorry, go please. Oh, I was going to say, I, you know, there's guys that I've known since 2015, and only recently did I find out, you know, one of them is a doctor. Yeah. I'd never known he was a doctor, you know, and uh, a couple of the guys are, are oil field workers, you yeah. know, and it's just, there's a widespread, some are just students, you know, mm. um, so it's really awesome. So a, a question, and this is sort of, again, me being a little um, selfish, I guess, in my questioning from the point of somebody who's put a few events on, and, and I know there'll be other guys putting events on down here who listen to this as well. How do you encourage people to come along to those after um, match events because there's always discussions of how you can do it because we want to encourage it as part of community but at the same time you don't want to kind of force it on people. <laughs> right. So we, nothing that we do is ever forced, yes. right? Yeah, I mean yeah. it's I think the biggest thing if and I would actually love for you guys to come out to, to the States and, and shoot a match. Yeah. Um, oh believe me I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> what, one of the biggest things that you'll notice at our match is Every shooter from the the top shooter to the bottom shooter, we're all very friendly and we're all very welcoming. Um, If I'm not shooting a match, I'm at every single NRL match. If I'm not shooting it, then I'm walking around and I'm talking to people and I'm offering help and I'm giving pointers. And 
you know, the, the new person that doesn't know anybody, I'm introducing them to a seasoned person. And I'm saying, hey, you know, Mr. Smith, this is Mr. Jones. He's been doing this forever. You're in the same squad. Why don't you watch what he's doing? Yeah. And Mr. Jones, why don't you help out if you see something that can, you know, help them improve? Um, and we really try to network and make connections. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it doesn't become so threatening. There's no clicks. There's no high yep. school groups, right? Yep. Um, so when we make the announcement, hey, we're all going to have a beer tonight. We're all going to go grab a steak or hit the, you know, go to a barbecue, whatever it is. Um, we make sure that we let everybody know at the same time, everyone is invited. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you don't know anybody or if you know everybody. Everyone's invited. If you want to come out, this is where we're going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, and then when we get there, you know, everyone just starts buying, you know, buying rounds for each other. You know, yep. hey, I had a great time with you today. Even though it's the first time I met you, here's a beer. You did great. Yep. You know, and, and that's how any friendship develops, right? Yeah. Um, is we get them communicating with each other. Mm. I, I think it's an important thing. We, I mean, I've even noticed with the limited events of down here, you'll always, there'll be a, a small group of guys who are, highly competitive and they're there to shoot they're there to win i'm not saying that they're not nice people but they definitely are in a competitive mode within that moment and i've always made a point and and the the event i'm going to on the weekend the match director knows i am quite happy to be squatted with a group of completely new shooters and that's not to say that i'm a particularly good shooter in any way whatsoever, but I've been to enough events. I can kind of explain where the 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 sports side is and how the timekeeping's working and how we might work around these. And often they're better shooters than me anyway because they've actually been shooting for a long time. Right. Maybe have never done a competition, um, which is awesome. Then I'm I'm just like okay, that's cool. So we, you know we we'll have someone spot. We'll have someone do the timing on it. Let's just keep and you just keep moving on and, and keeping. Also yes, keeping the. Um, keeping it lighthearted enough so that it just doesn't become a, a yeah, a, a competitive grind between people basically. Right. Um, and I think that's hugely important because you have to remember 90% of the people in this sport um, aren't getting paid to do this. Yes. Yep. yep. You know, they're paying to go out and have fun. You know, I'm not going to pay thousands of dollars to go on vacation to be miserable and be angry <laughs> When I go back to my hotel room, you know, but I'll pay thousands of dollars to go on vacation and have fun and meet new people and have great memories. And so that's the experience that the NRL really tries to evoke on everybody is, is the NRL doesn't exist without the match directors. The match directors don't exist without the shooters. The shooters don't exist without, without a place to shoot, which is the NRL. So it's a circle. It's, it's, we all need each other in order to make this grow and in order to make this, uh, you know, sustainable. Yep. And as soon as that circle breaks, then, you know, you're, you're, you're nowhere. You're left with nothing. Yes. So you have to really encompass and embrace every aspect of it, in my opinion. Well, I know myself as it's some, ironically, I've sometimes struggled with because I'm not, I probably, people will probably disagree, but I find myself, I'm not a competitive person as such. I'm not interested in competing against somebody else. I'm interested in bettering myself. So I often say to people, these competitions, because people will say to me, I don't, I'm not ready for a competition. The gear's not ready. My, my reloading's not up to spec, which is an excuse more than a reason. Or, you know, I've never done a comp. I'm worried about what might happen. It's like, well, look, I've done a competition where I came dead last because I managed to get the action screws on my rifle so loose the thing nearly fell out of a chassis. And then I traveled half the country to do that. But it was a great weekend. Great pile of shooters, great everything. Um, To me, it's just a way to structure um, some shooting, catch up with some like-minded people and just have a good like you say it's almost like a vacation or a weekend away it's just we get to do something we enjoy at the same time which is the shooting side of it exactly exactly and you know i'm the same way i'm i'm competitive but when i go out to shoot i'm you know my 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 wife hates this but i'm not there to compete i'm there to better myself yeah you know so my goal whatever i shoot a match is not to zero a stage even if I get one, I just don't want to zero a stage. Yeah. Right. And now that I've accomplished that for multiple matches throughout the season, my next goal is 50%. Yeah. I want 50% hits on target, or, you know, hits on target. Um, 
And that's what I'm working towards next. I'm not a top level shooter. More often than not, I'm, you know, middle towards middle bottom uh, of the pack. Um, and I don't really care because I know I'm working on myself right now. Yeah. I know that I'm trying to be a better, a better athlete myself and I'm there to help other people have fun. Mm. It was something I remember with a early interview I did with um, Ed and Steve, 6.5 guys. Um, and yes. they said that their intention was never necessarily to be at the top of their field because they simply didn't, they weren't practicing enough. They weren't, that wasn't their intention. Their intention was to shoot well and to shoot as well right. as they could, but they had other focuses in the form of doing video, doing media, checking out different equipment and, and basically doing that side of it. And exactly. Yeah, I think it's a very valid part as well because, like, if you yourself is not out there also making sure there's some media being done and all these other bits and pieces, they're all quite critical to that event happening yes. rather than it just being head down, sod the rest, I'm just here to shoot and trying to get the highest score possible. Right. No, I, I agree. And, and you know, the 6.5 the guys are um, – you know, they, they do phenomenal work. They do their show, their, their, uh, their whole video presence and the way that they mm. do everything is, is phenomenal. And when we first started doing this as contingency X, you know, we obviously, we looked to see who was out there and, and we picked and, and choose what we liked from different, uh, different companies. There was only a handful. Yeah. Um, majority of them weren't very good. Six, five guys was doing a very good job at it and mm. we liked what they were doing. Mm. Um, and you know, it's companies like that that have really helped this sport grow because the amount of knowledge like you can get on social media now is just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the other things I looked and I, I well, I was sort of just looking online and refamiliarizing myself with the many different things that you get up to. Um, the other thing I spotted and, and it reminded me was a precision rifle channel. Um, which had the line of sight, systematic approach, and I think is it j James Janae. Or Janae, thank you. Janae, Janae yes. got a gun. Now, is that still something you're developing? I'm not quite sure where that is, or you're just busy. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's both. Okay. Um, yeah. So the Precision Rifle Channel was um, originally designed so that we can help people. Because uh, first and foremost, I don't know everything. I don't pretend to know everything. Sure. I'm very much a student of life and, and of the sport. Um, but I have friends that know a heck of a lot more than I do. Yeah. And I have friends that have bigger personalities than I do. They just don't have the media or marketing support to do it. Or maybe they didn't even, in certain cases, didn't even think about doing it. Sure. Um, so... Uh, James Jeffries from Line of Sight, very good friend of mine. Um, he, I call him for anything firearms related, and he has answers like that for me. I mean, he just he's a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. And so, you know, I approached him um, to do Line of Sight, where we did reviews and things of that nature. And we've only done a couple because his schedule and my schedule just got crazy, and mm -hmm. he's uh, a father, um, so it's been a little bit hard for him. And I'm traveling all over the country. Um. Janae's got a gun. Janae is actually uh, Ty Franner's wife. And wow. when you meet her, she is a explosion of energy and fun and smiles and laughs and sarcasm. Um, and she's one of the top female shooters in the nation. Gotcha. Um, in, in the U.S. And so I was like, you know what, Janae, there's a ton of guys doing these videos, mm -hmm. but nothing from a woman's perspective. Yeah. And. You're not, you know, for, for lack of better phrasing, she's not a soft woman. Mm -hmm. She's, she'll tell you how it is. Yep. You know, she doesn't beat around, beat around the bush. She doesn't try to sugarcoat anything for you. And I was like, that's what females need. You know, they don't want to see uh, a gun bunny. We call them gun bunnies out here. Yep. You know, um, we don't want to see gun bunnies. We want to see actual women shooters actually doing what they say they do. Yeah. And that was her. Yeah. Um, and if you watch some of her videos, they're, uh, you know, PG-13 at, uh, at the least. <laughs> um, but she's awesome. Yeah. And then um, uh, systematic approach was uh, Philip Vallejo. Philip was a uh, scout sniper um, uh, instructor for the Marine Corps. Yeah. And he's, um, I don't know, my, maybe my third or fourth instructor. 
um, that I've worked with, but his approach to everything and the way he taught me um, certain things just blew my mind. Mm. I mean, it's stuff that I'd been taught before, but he taught it to me differently where it actually made sense to me. Yep. Um, and so I, I said, you know, we got to, he was getting out of the Marine Corps. I said, we got to do this. We got to continue your knowledge. We got to keep sharing that. And and he was all about it. Um, so well, he did so well at it and, and he still does it every day on social media, mm-hmm. on his Instagram and Facebook, um, Philip Vallejo. But he got picked up by a company out here called Gunworks. I, I was to, I'm basically going to say he got, uh, yeah, he's busy. <laughs> yeah, to, to do what he was doing on systematic yeah. approach. Yeah. So I was like, hey, you know what? It's, it got you to the next level, even yeah. though we only got a couple of videos off. Um, when we see each other, hopefully we can do more. But he's in a completely different state now. So that's yeah. why that slowed down. Yeah, but the I, podcast, we still try to do every every week. Yeah, I Pretty much figured that was the case with him, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's all good. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're doing the um, – to be honest, I maybe haven't kept up with the podcast as well. The podcast is a Contingency X podcast, or is that really the um, Precision Rifle Channel podcast? Precision Rifle Channel podcast. Okay, okay. Yeah. And that is interviews with people, or, or is it sort of technique and gear or a bit of everything? A little bit of everything. Um, yeah. You know, your your show is much more professional. You know more about me than I know <laughs> than, than I know about some of my shooters as far as career wise. Yeah, but all of the the shooters. This uh, is the result of being the other side of the country. I have to get my stalk on. This is all we can. You know, we don't have access to all the shooting, so we just spend all our time online watching you guys over in the states, basically. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, you know, it's just I, I call up friends of mine and I say, hey, let's just have a conversation. Sure. Um, you know, well, wherever it goes, it goes. Um, ours are all audio, so it's easy for us to edit anything out if if we start doing the ums and ifs and what ifs and, you know, all the, the weird um, one word things that get in the way. Yeah. Um, 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 um. Oh, yeah, I, I hate watching, re-listening back to any of these things because you suddenly become how aware you have of your, yeah, me, my ums and pauses and stuff like that. But that's all right. It's, I don't think right. you ever get used to it, really. Well, you don't. It's funny, my editor, he'll, he'll sit there sometimes and he'll do, you had 25 ums today. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get that lower. <laughs> um, and there it is again. There you go. Yeah. But, it's it, it's uh, really just us having conversations and talking about the sport from our personal perspectives sure. and talking about the future of the sport and, and businesses that some of them may be involved in. It's just a really laid back uh, conversation that we try to have mm. with no no hidden agenda, no serious agenda per se, uh, even though we get into a lot of serious topics yep. sometimes, we still try to keep it light and fresh. Mm. So. So on the whole, then for the the sports shooting community over there, it, it's still growing, and you're still finding a lot of the companies. There, there seem to be a little while where the the with I guess early days of the PRS, and then the Aaron Rao came board, and it was just like seeming to grow, grow, grow. Is it still the case? Is it becoming sort of leveled off a little bit, or is it just no, still growing it's, exponentially? It's still growing exponentially. I believe it is still the fastest growing market um, in firearms right now. Is precision rifle. Sure. So there's more bolt guns being sold right now than ever before. There's more manufacturers that are crossing over into the bolt action uh, uh, precision rifle market. Um, There's companies that, you know, three years ago would only focus on AR-15s because those were the hot, you know, the hot topic that are now transitioning over to, you know, precision rifle type stuff. So it's growing the big – the big manufacturers are really supporting it. I'm, I mean, out here, um, they just came out with, you know, a six Creedmoor round really quick. And, you know, and that round was all developed through precision rifle, mm. uh, the six, five Creedmoor, you know, that's been around for a long time, but it really got popular with precision rifle. And now it's, yep. you find it, you know, on the shelf. Yeah. So precision rifle, even though it's a small community in the States, maybe less than a, a thousand people that actually shoot precision rifle, we affect millions of people um, in the shooting world because of the fact that a lot of what we do gets translated over into other uh, firearms markets such as hunting. 
Sure. You know, there's you'll see online now people are taking deer with a 6.5 Creedmoor before nobody would try to shoot a deer without a 308. Yep. Uh, and then out here, I'm not sure if it's as popular in New Zealand. Um, I have my own personal feelings about it, but you start seeing a lot of long range hunting as well, where people are taking shots, you know, at 800 plus yards. Um, not my personal cup of tea, um, but the equipment and the gear is there. It's capable of doing it. It's just maybe the people aren't necessarily capable of doing it. Totally agree. Yep. Totally agree. And, and yeah, exactly that. It's, um, it's just been interesting and it is for us here as well. It's that crossover because most of the guys who are hunting have the bolt actions. They have the equipment that's suitable to get into the, the field style or the precision style shooting as well. And then even though, as I say to guys, you're not likely to come across a tank, across a tank trap in the middle of the bush, but the, right. the same principles that you're going to apply to solving that solution while not directly are definitely applicable to um, shooting something at 50 metres where you've got a branch or something you can use as support for you. Um, right. So, yeah, and also I think the other thing that's been interesting is like with yourself, with the, the, the better, more modern media coverage and the social media side of it, I think that has greatly contributed to the, the growth of it. Um, whereas some Absolutely. Of, we have some of the older, we'll call them older disciplines, or shooting or more established shooting disciplines are still kind of figuring out what a face difference is between a Facebook page and a Facebook group and a, you know, you know, so, right. which is, um, is, is interesting, but they are now, now catching up, which is good. It's, you know, it's a thing. More people into it is, is better. So, Absolutely. so you've obviously got a huge amount on your plate already. Is there any <laughs> other sort of projects you've got in, in the workings that, you know, yes. just to, Oh, of course, just to keep yourself uh, busier. Yeah, of course. You know why? Why not? <laughs> um, so here in the states, we have a, another series. Uh, it's a regional series called Border War. Okay, I'm not sure, sure if you're familiar with that. Again, as from remotely watching, yes, I have heard of the Border War, but uh, please. Okay, so Border War was developed by uh, by Jim C, um, a seasoned shooter uh, competitor, uh, about two years ago, and. The way that this is designed is that the the United States would be broken up into different regions. Each region would contain uh, contain X amount of states, and each state would be governed by that region. Yeah, that region would make up the rules. They would set the schedule. They would do everything that best made sense for their region. Because shooting in the East Coast and shooting in the West Coast is completely different. Sure. Um, terrain, atmosphere, weather conditions, the whole nine yards. Um, so what happened was, is Jim created these one day matches, you know, they're roughly, uh, for the border wars, uh, in his region, the North central region, you know, they're roughly eight to 10 stages, 80 to hundred rounds, and they're able to be done in one day. Sure. And yep. it's, um, it's like a professional club level match. Because uh, they keep score, um, they have a lot of fun with it, but it's not as intimidating or as big or expensive as going to a two-day national match, mm-hmm. right? So Jim grew, started growing this two years ago, and in the past two years, he's grown over 400-plus members in his one region. Right. Um, and his region went from like four or five states to like nine states or something because it gained so much popularity so fast. So Jeb and, and I had been friends for a long time and he asked us if we could help manage the border war for him and help it continue to grow. So we came to an agreement with Jim and in 2019, it'll now be the NRL border war. Okay. And we're going yeah. to be opening up the potential for new regions throughout the U S and our goal is for each region to hold their monthly matches. Um, and then at the end of the year or, you know, towards the, the back end of the year, have a championship in that region. Each region will then send 20 or 30. We have to figure out that number of their top shooters to compete against other regions. Gotcha. Yep. So it becomes a big, again, like for lack of a better word, grudge match between yeah. regions. Yeah, yeah. And now guys that were competing against each other during the month are teammates yep. trying to beat out another region. <laughs> and so it's just a, it, 
the concept and, and the way it works is is a lot of fun and it's a great way again for people that don't want to afford or don't want to, or whatever their fear is or anxiety is of going to a national level today they mm-hmm. don't have to they can go to a border war match and experience it in half the time a, a fraction of the cost and still have a, you know a lot of fun yeah yeah awesome awesome all right. So again, Travis, thanks for your time. Been awesome. For guys wanting to find more information, I mean, I'll put all the links obviously below in the podcast, on the website, everywhere else I can think of links. But in audio form, uh, where would you like people to go to sort of just follow and, and see what you're up to? So the best place to go for that is uh, nationalrifleleague.org. That's kind of the hub for everything that I'm doing, Precision Rifle Channel, NRL 22, NRL Border War. Uh, it's all, you know, you can find it all right there. Um, that's really the, the best way to see what's going on and to stay up to date with what's happening. And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Watch from like, far, how, America. how do I see this now? I've done plenty of podcasts, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all good, mate. Uh, like I say, it's been um, good to um, have sort of uh, the media that we can watch in these long form videos and stuff. And one thing I was actually going to, I was going to say as well, I was, I was catching up on one of your latest videos. It's also nice that the music in the background isn't necessarily all this high speed pounding, screeching dubstep. It's actually um, right. a little bit more chilled music to watch while guys are shooting because it, for me at least, actually, it's not this this crazy frenetic thing when I'm shooting. It's actually closer to what the music you're putting behind it actually sounds like. So, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and again, we want it to be fun, and the music is more for background noise. It doesn't. Yeah. We don't want it to take over the feeling of the experience. Yeah. So we're always doing whatever we can to make the videos better, listening to people's advice and what they want to see, and it's uh, always an evolution, and we just got to keep trying. And uh, are you going to be at SHOT Show? Uh, are you – Coming out stateside? Uh, we'll see. I've got to get up there one year. Um, I, like I mentioned to you, hopefully short-term projects for me is getting a range going down here. Right. Um, and if that happens, then I'd say that's going to keep me busy for quite a little time yet. <laughs> this is, but yes, this it's is on the goal. And, and certainly, I mean, part of what we're doing down here long-term is, yes, to have a group of shooters that we can also get up stateside and obviously shoot in some of those comps up there. Um, I know we have guys who will travel up there as sort of a holiday and maybe even shoot a bit um but yeah something where we can maybe structure and and help get those guys up there would be pretty awesome from our end anyway well anything that the nrl can do um to help grow the sport in new zealand if you're anything that we can do we're obviously we're here to help support you guys um anytime you have shooters that are coming out stateside um tell them to, to shoot me an email uh you know whatnot and anything i can do to to find them a match or get them involved or show them around grab a beer, whatever it is. Um, it's all about the the camaraderie, the friendship and, and growing the sport. So I'm always at your disposal, sir. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you.